Hi, and welcome to the Slush Podcast. As you probably know, Slush is the world's leading startup event. You're about to hear an interview conducted at Slush 2017 on the Founder Studio stage, where the biggest names in tech sit down for an intimate Q&A. Elizabeth Stark and Jutta Steiner know more about blockchain technology than most of us ever will. Jutta is the co-founder and CEO of Parity Technologies, a platform that provides you a fast and secure way to interact with the cryptocurrency Ethereum. Elizabeth is a co-founder and CEO of Lightning, a financial layer for the internet that uses blockchain technology. They were interviewed by Henny Roini. Okay, hi everybody, um, and welcome. So, first off, um, you both have founded companies uh, around blockchain. So I actually wanted to first ask, how did you like come around with the technology? How did you find out about it? Like, because now you are both founders with blockchain startups. So um, I was actually, I mean, I had started to read about Bitcoin, um, uh, like. Bef- like I actually came to the space through Ethereum, so um, what I was looking for, um, it was also just indirectly. I was looking for um, a way for like securely storing my own data um, and sharing it and whatnot. And so I came across an article that discussed um, Ethereum in that context for building systems for decentrally share- sharing data amongst people. So and then I started to become interested in Ethereum. So um, I guess like yeah, as I said, like I came came to the space. Um, quite indirectly, um, although I had read about Bitcoin and whatnot, but initially I couldn't really figure out what it would be good for. Um, and and like I think, yeah, the important thing uh, to me was that um, there are so many other applications than just financial for this technology um, that I was excited about. So by the way, hi everybody! Thanks. For, really excited to be back here. Um, I think the first time I've been called a queen of blockchain technology. So cool. Um, so I first learned about Bitcoin back when I was teaching at Stanford University. I had been very interested in the intersection of the internet and the economy, uh, society, culture, the law. I have a background in law and technology. Um, and one of the things that I was really passionate about was open source decentralized protocols and had looked into a variety of decentralized or distributed protocols prior to the existence of Bitcoin. So back when I was teaching at Stanford, um, I had a TA of mine, so a teaching assistant, send an article um, in late 2010. I actually just recently uh, found that email again. Um, and it was an article about this open source money thing. And I read the article and I uh, thought, you know, sounds really cool, but it'll probably never work. Um, what I really should have done was like buy a lot of Bitcoin in 2010, I, you know. But uh, so it turns out uh, a few months later, I kind of, Dove in, learned a lot more about it. Uh, Bitcoin and, and our whole industry kind of is an addiction. Once you read about it a little bit, you just can't stop reading about it. Um, and then I was I was basically hooked from then. Okay, um, so you've actually seen that the especially um, Bitcoin has been having like a super rapid growth recently. So what what do you actually think about it? Like what's the future with it? And uh, how does eventually, does it become like this, the only currency or like, what's the future of it? So Yuta and I both spoke here last year at Slush in November. Um, I believe if you had bought either last year, 
Uh, Bitcoin is up like 12 or 13 times. Ethereum's up what, like over 20? 50? Oh, f yeah, roughly. It's like we 30, can't even keep track yeah. right now, right? <laughs> I remember it was like $8 when we were it was, here it at was, Slush. It was 6 Six or seven dollars at the beginning of this year, like it crashed right, right. afterwards. Yeah. Um, but at least from my standpoint, look, I think the investment interest is really interesting. Um, I would have never imagined, uh, like two years ago, that you know major banks and financial institutions would be entering into Bitcoin in the way that they are. Back then, it was blockchain, not Bitcoin. Uh, 2017 has really interestingly been the year of cryptocurrency and the year of Bitcoin. Um, from my standpoint, I love the technology. We started our company, the Bitcoin price was like $200. Um, I don't, you know, it didn't matter to me. And we just thought the technology was really cool. I think we'll see a lot of ups and downs. These prices are highly volatile. They can go up a lot, they can go down a lot. Um, but for me, what I'm really passionate about is building out the technology and the impact that having this global decentralized uh, ability to transact and have value all around the world. And of course, with Lightning, we're building scalability technology, so layer two technology on top of Bitcoin and other blockchains. So for me, I think it's interesting. I would have, you know, a few years ago, $10,000 for one Bitcoin seemed completely out of reach. But at the same time, it's really important to stay focused and not focus. I mean, there are a lot of what we call fair weather friends. It's like, oh, we love this technology when the price is really high. And then if it crashes, we'll hate it. Uh, for us, we don't care. Uh, we really believe in the power of the tech. Yeah, same, same thing here. I mean. Um, it's interesting to see, I also like the, in addition to just like the Bitcoin price going up, I mean, we've seen in 2017 loads of startups projects raising money through token sales and there's a lot of speculation going on. Um, I think, I mean, there'll, there'll definitely be tears at some point. Um, <laughs> 2018 may have a lot of tears. <laughs> um, that said, I mean, there are interesting things that people are trying to to achieve when they, when they start to create a token. and and um, try to experiment like creating an, a protocol that, that this, this token facilitates. And, and I'm really excited about these, these things much more than just the mere speculation. So about the technology, where do you actually see that blockchain technology could create like the biggest impact in the near future? So, I mean, it's hard to predict like where it will initially like lead to the biggest impact. I mean, I, I've always been excited about the potential for using it um, in like global uh, collaborations or supply chains, basically. Um, so I started um, a company called Providence to um, use blockchain for transparency in supply chains. Um, and and that's, that's one thing where, where I think um, we're going to see a lot of, of impact where so far, like we lack the systems that um, can facilitate trust between various um, parties. And, and, and here's where I see um, a lot of the applications and otherwise like I think it will hopefully have a lot of impact on how we how we actually build new much more secure infrastructure for the web um, like because we see so far that the um, the way how we've built things um, using the centralized client server model hasn't lead to secure systems I mean we've more and more data breaches and like pushing this all to the edges to in, back into the hands of the users I think will very much help to um, to create a secure web yeah, the data breach issue, I think, is a really important one. By the way, how many people in the audience have, had their, have not had their data breached? OK, like two hands, right? So this is a pretty endemic problem. Um, you know, I've had, like, every week, I feel like I get an email saying, like, oh, sorry, your data's been leaked. And the whole model of storing data with central servers in ways that are fundamentally insecure 
is an issue that I'm also passionate about. But from the standpoint of my company, Lightning Labs, uh, we're very focused on the, the value aspect of crypt the crypto asset or cryptocurrency, if you will. So right now in our software um, called LND, we have support for both Bitcoin and Litecoin. And our tech enables instant high volume transacting um, on those blockchains. We're on the testnet. We actually just uh, two weeks ago did this really cool demo of what we call a cross-chain atomic swap on Lightning, where you can instantly and trustlessly do exchanging and trading between Bitcoin and Litecoin. So you don't need a, a central exchange in order to do that. So uh, from my standpoint, I think the decentralized application angle is really interesting, and it's something that I'm excited about. But we're very focused on the value component. So you know, what does the world look like where you have assets that aren't dependent upon a single government or corporations or banks? Um, what if you could transfer value? Um, you know, why is it really easy right now for me to send a photo or an animated GIF on the internet, but I can't just send like a euro or a dollar easily without having to like log in to a website and go to some like banking system and all of that? Why is there no protocol for value on the internet? Um, so I think it's, it's been fascinating to watch the rise of Bitcoin in the past year. And I think people also want to be able to participate in and invest in an asset class that isn't dependent upon, you know, if something goes wrong with the global uh, financial system, they want to have an alternative. Also, when it comes to the quote unquote millennial generation, it's always tough to generalize with entire generations. But I think they've also seen a world in which, um, you know, banks haven't really innovated. They're being charged really large fees. Like, they wonder why can't they have apps and ways to build on the internet with this technology. So I see Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies as a way for them to engage as well. So what do you think actually would need to happen on the government side, on the country's side, to actually for them to be able to um, actually take these um, different uh, softwares into use and these technologies into use, like blockchain? I mean, so maybe it's more about like what doesn't need to happen. Like, I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing more, I mean, there's what we call regulatory competition going on, like different places trying to regula regulate Bitcoin blockchain technology pretty harshly, other places trying to be more lenient and like give um, startups like the freedom to, to try out things and, 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 and see how far they can get. So yeah, I mean, I, I believe like the most important thing is that we don't see like the wrong regulation coming in um, that will just inhibit um, uh, innovation. So one really interesting thing that we've been wondering is whether governments will issue currencies on a blockchain. And we've heard there have been a few projects, um, one in Japan that I'd heard about recently. Um, I'd heard about one in Mexico where there might be a kind of peso on a blockchain. Um, we'll see. I, I do think the nature of technology um, and having been involved in the world of law and technology is technology moves way, way faster than governments or the legal system does, like a decade faster, basically, or more. So I, I would still give it quite a while. I think it's been fascinating to see somewhat of the mainstream acceptance, even from the government side. Um, Christine Lagarde um, uh, from the IMF, IMF, right? So recently, you know, said quite positive things about Bitcoin and um, seeing a lot of the major global institutions acknowledging that is fascinating because it could have very well been that a few years ago, you know, the idea was like, oh, only, you know, people use this to buy drugs on the internet and it's only used for bad things. Well, guess what? The US dollar and the euro are used for a lot of bad things too. Um, I think there are a lot of really interesting use cases as well. Uh, I know a lot of people that were not able to send money, say, across borders 
uh, or needed a way to like store their you know funds. They didn't want to have it like they were afraid maybe the government would take it away, so they were able to use Bitcoin for things like that. Um, when it comes to regulation, we've actually seen so in the U.S., New York was early on this. I actually worked a lot on that and fought against what I thought were um, overly restrictive uh, regulations on startups. Um, the sad reality is that a lot of startups moved out of New York. I know startups that have offices in Connecticut and not in New York because of the, the New York regulations. So I definitely think it's important that governments don't clamp down too much. Um, on the ICO side, uh, as, as Yota knows, I've definitely been more of an outspoken, outspoken critic on a lot of the ICOs. I do think m many, many of them are securities, if not virtually all. Um, so I think that's going to get really interesting in the next year to see what the government's going to do there. In my ideal world, you could have more of a situation where you have, say, um, community kind of norms or regulations where there's transparency, there's reporting, um, investors have rights. Uh, we've seen situations already where, you know, there have been ICOs where people run away with the money. Um, so that's going to get really interesting. I would prefer a more innovation-friendly approach. I worry that it's going to be much more of a crackdown now on that front. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, we can now actually move on to the um, questions from the audience. So the most liked question so far has been about the environmental impact of cryptocurrencies. So um, like, like you all know, there is a lot of energy spent on mining uh, the Bitcoins. So is it sustainable energy? I think it's important. I mean, like loads of the discussions in this whole space are very religious and sometimes very um, narrow because people get hung up like with the wrong question. And this, I think, is one of the one of the um, examples for that. Because I mean, think of it as like the technology being in a, in an early stage right now, right? I mean, the way how. Um, Bitcoin works is at the moment like through using this proof of work system but that doesn't mean there can't be innovation around like how could consensus be achieved in the future and consensus being this very mechanism that makes makes Bitcoin work. I mean like when we had um, x-ray for the first time like I mean we had horrendous amounts of radiation that was used in order to create x-ray images right and, and we've improved on that and same thing will happen here I mean th this is one thing that we work on as well in our company, so work, like moving from a system that uses proof of work to a system that's called proof of stake, um, and therefore wouldn't require to um, to um, expend these huge amounts of energy. Yeah. So when it comes to the environmental impact, interestingly, a lot of the energy used in, say, Bitcoin mining is renewable energy. A lot of it is coming from hydro and dams. Um, I think the better metric of comparison is how much energy does the current financial sector take up? You know, every light in every office, all the cars and the trucks, all the people involved there. Um, there's a stat that people like were using on the internet a few weeks ago. Oh, one Bitcoin transaction takes up as much energy as like a house for a week or something. So the interesting, interesting thing with Lightning is our technology can enable you with one Bitcoin transaction to transact a million or more, millions of times in between. So, well, on the one hand, like I very much consider myself, you know, an environmentalist and care about the impact. But again, I think the bigger picture needs to be examined. There are obviously layer two technologies, other technologies um, that can make uh, the energy expenditure be far, far more scalable and much more efficient. Um, and like I, I'd be very curious to actually see statistics around the credit card processors, the banking system. Of course, it is early days, right? So right now. 
Um, I've been saying for quite a while, a few years ago we were in like 1993 and 1994. Now we're basically in the equivalent of 1995 when it comes to the stage of these technologies. 2017 was the first year where it went a little bit more mainstream. Um, so it's early and I do think the efficiency will improve. Um, the amount of transactions that can be handled will be far superior and then we'll also see much more renewable as we're already seeing. There was um, also about a question about uh, net neutrality. Um, so I'm pretty sure uh, I know your stand about it, uh, but could you clear that up and also um, talk about like how can we actually make sure that it doesn't destroy itself? And it doesn't? Destroy. I mean, so like to me, blockchain is like just one of the elements that hopefully, as I said, that will, create, will help us create like a um, a better, a better internet, better web. Um, like it's part of a of a whole stack of technologies um, that will um, will enable us to re-architect the web in a decentral way. And of course, like net net net, net, net neutrality um, um, plays a role as well. Like, um, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm just really um, excited about about that opportunity to um, to fix things that have gone. Wrong, wrong so far, and, and hopefully build like an like a level ground for like startups, bigger companies, for anybody like to 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 build their businesses on top of these technologies. Yeah. So there's been a lot going on lately around net neutrality. Um, I've been involved in communities that were very active in that for a while. A, a good friend of mine, a professor at Columbia named Tim Wu, came up with the term net neutrality. He's an awesome guy. You should check out his uh, recent book. Um, and this is something that deeply worries me. It's one of those things where like, I feel like I need to read up on exactly what the latest is right now. Um, but in the US especially, uh, there's a real risk that the FCC is now going against net neutrality. And the idea then would be, okay, so let's say I'm watching a video on the internet. If the video comes from a big media company, it's going to be really fast. If the video is on my own personal server, it's not going to be prioritized. And I, that's a major risk for the technologies that we're building because there are going to be a lot of people that don't want the decentralized technologies to succeed over, say, the existing, say, corporations or the you know existing um, people that are running those systems. So I do think net neutrality is a major risk to what we're building. Um, it's really important to preserve the idea that one packet on the internet is one packet. It doesn't matter if it's a packet for Bitcoin, for Ethereum, for YouTube, for my server, for email. Um, and we shouldn't have a world in which you can then, you know, have really fast speeds if you're watching, you know, cable on the internet, but really slow speeds if I put my own video online. Like, it's really important that we preserve this neutrality and this kind of equality of the internet. Okay, um, you can also probably answer this one. Uh, what is a good way to start investing and start working in the blockchain industry? Yeah, two questions. Yeah. So one of the things I actually mentioned on my panel last year was that um, nobody can have a decade of experience in the blockchain world because blockchains haven't even been around for a decade. Yeah. So the funny thing is, on October 31st, 2018, they will have finally been around for a decade because that was when Satoshi first sent out the white paper. So we're getting closer. Um, but one of the great things about our industry is there's so much information out there. It's not, you don't need like a PhD in Bitcoin, although I do know like two people that have a PhD in Bitcoin. Yeah, from AJ Ha in Zurich. Um, 
but you, you really don't. Like, you can go online, you can read about Ethereum, you can read about Bitcoin, you can learn about the technology. Um, There's so many resources out there. Um, Andreas Antonopoulos, who's speaking here, has spoken as well, um, has written some great books. Um, he is Mastering Bitcoin, and has Mastering Ethereum come out yet, or it's like about to come out? Okay, it's about to come out as well. So there's some really great resources. So my advice is go online and learn and read. Um, also, you know, if you want to work in the industry, especially like, you know, we get right, right now we're hiring, especially for engineers, we get applications, but we want people that have taken the time to learn about the technology, learn about what's going on. There's a lot to keep up with, by the way. So even we can't fully keep up with everything. There's like every day there's more news. Um, but even when it comes to buying, you know, the currencies and investing again, like you should know what you're getting into. It's, you know, highly volatile. What can go up can very much go down. You should expect that. Don't. I always say, don't put, any money, don't put in any money that you're not willing to just lose. Um, I know there are stories of some people putting in their entire life savings, and it worked out for them, but buyer beware. Exactly. For other people, it didn't. Um, but again, I would, I, it's important because the, the prices also move with industry news to kind of keep up and read up. And, and, just like, and there are a lot of good websites. So there's Bitcoin Magazine, which is more focused on the Bitcoin side. Um, there's Coindesk. Uh, which writes about the industry generally. I don't, yeah. to, do you have thoughts? I mean, like in terms of working in the industry, like so far when like we've built like a team of 40 roughly, and um, like I haven't come across anybody that would have fulfilled like all the like all the uh, requirements that we had to to fill a certain role. I mean, like for example, on the dev side, um, we have a we work um, with Rust as a programming language, and like I mean, already this is like a new language. There are not many people. Like usually, what we like we hire people who are like very um, very good like at um, at at problem solving and and probably profi proficient like in at least one. Um, one systems language like C++ or something like this, because I mean, we, we just can't find the people that we actually need and, and train them up. And, and like same for um, same for um, the people that we hire more on the on the business side or in communications. I mean, like as long as you have a, a strong interest and you're willing to learn, like yeah, there's so many resources out there. Um, it's not it, yeah, the, the issue is not to get access. The issue is just to, to take the time and and read. Thank you. Um, so what about like if you are part of like large multinational company, on that side, how can you actually try to learn like what blockchain is and how can the company actually use it in their own own future um, growth? I mean, in the end, it's like ex like with everything, experiment with it. Like I mean, fine. So far, like the the companies I've seen that have actually um, created or like or gained like a certain. Um, certain knowledge about it were through experimenting and building sort of prototypes, proof of concepts. Um, th that's, that's how you get familiar and see how, how the technology works and what it can bring to you. Yeah, one thing that, as mentioned earlier, I think is fascinating is um, we've seen, for example, Square, um, you know, major fintech company in the US, is now uh, allowing certain customers to buy Bitcoin in their app, which I think is, I believe they're the first public company in the United States that is doing this. Um, we're actually hearing you know, a lot of big, large banks saying our customers are calling up and they're asking, like, how can I buy Bitcoin? How can I invest in cryptocurrency? So this is very different from last year when nobody would have been asking about that and it was not cool yet. Um, on the blockchain side of things, I think there are some interesting use cases, um, but it depends. The really important question to ask is, do we need a blockchain for this? The answer is often no. 
I think blockchains, or especially the kind of private variety, and we can debate whether to call that blockchains, are useful when you have a disparate group of people that don't necessarily have a reason to trust each other, um, and therefore you want some degree of, of cryptographic verification and security. If everyone already like, fully trusts each other, you can use a database. Um, but I've seen a lot of interesting use cases coming down the road. I think 2018 will be um, the test to see, are these going to go into production? I mean, I know Yuta probably knows more about, like, in terms of the supply chain side and what's going on there. Um, but getting, in terms of getting involved, again, similar, like, there are so many resources online. There are a lot of organizations that have now sprung up um, to get involved and interested. And, yeah, I would say, like, there's a lot of information out there, just a question of what your use case is and whether you need a blockchain, and if so, which technology is most relevant to your use case. Yeah, I think, like, um, even if you have a, have a startup, I mean, I, I think the best thing to do is, like, to think about a world where you have, like, frictionless transactions on the web for, like, anything. I mean, not just financial, where you can, like, frictionlessly, like, check identity of people and, and whatnot, and you never have the data, the respective data in your own database and like think of think of such a world and like what you would actually bring to your users um, as value. So and what, what, what will be the service you offer? I think that's a much more useful exercise than like just to get familiar with a certain technology because technology will change and probably by the time like blockchain is actually a big thing, it will have done many, many iterations. So yeah, I, I would I would do this thought exercise and and, and try to try to understand what, what's the position you want to want to take in, in such an environment. Okay, so I think we only have time for one more question. Um, so, what do you actually see that are the mainstream use cases in like 2020 for blockchain? I like that question. Um, so, one of the things I like to say is that we haven't even imagined what those use cases are yet. Um, think of like you know back in the 60s or 70s. You know, what if I told you there would be this device where you could then press a button and call, you know, a, a car and then watch it on a map? Or what if I told you that there was an encyclopedia where anybody in the world could come online and change it? And it actually is really quite accurate. You would have thought that was crazy, right? Like, people wouldn't have believed that. It wouldn't have been possible even back then, right? What was online? It wasn't even a thing. Um, so similarly, I do think a lot of the use cases are things that, like, if you heard, would seem crazy today, but we haven't actually imagined or thought of yet. Um, one of the things I'm personally really excited about is the ability to have a small value, um, high volume payments on the internet. This is part of what got me interested in Lightning, Lightning Network in the first place, was why is it that you can't just browse the internet and pay five cents when you read an article or when you watch a video? Um, why can't you, know, you just, and by the way, the user doesn't have to like, take an action. This can all be automated in, say, a browser plugin or on your mobile phone. Um, so having a new model to pay artists, creators, people making you know, creative work, writers on the internet, musicians, all of that. And we've had this model on the internet where it's been largely advertising driven, right? So you, know, you go to YouTube, there are ads. Uh, you go to the New York Times or, you know, um, you cite their ads. And I don't, that's not necessarily good when it comes to user privacy. That, ins that means that a lot of people are tracked on the internet. You're giving away a lot of your information. Um, there are a lot of intermediaries that go there. So, like, you know, the artist of the video that you're watching on YouTube, there are, like, many hops to get the funds to them. So I'm really excited about a world in which it's much easier to just um, give a small amount, but, like, to, you know, the people that you're 
reading or watching on the internet. And there's a really cool app called yalls.org. It's, it's very early. It's just kind of a demo beta, um, yalls.org, where you can use Lightning. To, you can write articles on there, and then you can pay a small amount to read articles, which is fun. But uh, we'll be releasing for the Bitcoin main network, hopefully very soon, and then that'll be more. I think what's going to be exciting to see is, um, I mean, likewise, where blockchain will meet with other emerging technologies. I mean, where, when it, for example, comes to machine learning and, and, and blockchain working together, like think of devices that are their own agent, like that can sort of manage their own capacity, like their utilization and whatnot. Um, and, and, and that's something where, where I believe um, we haven't even like understood, uh, like, a tiny bit of, of what the opportunity is for this technology. Okay, thank you. Let's give a round of applause. Thanks so much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Slush podcast. Find out more about Slush at slush.org. Please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't yet done so, subscribe to it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.